called dear friends in Christ. We certainly live and serve in challenging and changing times, don't we? And I think one of the casualties, sadly, of the time in which we live is the concept of truth. Truth in many ways, many walks, many respects has become what we decided to be. The following, for example, are six assertions of belief or perceived truth that I think we hear increasingly in our lives and as we live out our faith and we hear them sometimes even increasingly in church circles. The first one is it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Secondly, good people go to heaven. Another one, my God wouldn't send anyone to hell. Fourthly, being a good person, doing the right thing most of the time, that'll get you to heaven. Whatever works for you is true for me. And finally, there are many spiritual paths to God. Now, these six assertions certainly reflect much current thought. And at first glance, they may seem very sincere, very loving, very egalitarian, very equitable. There's only one problem. They're not biblical. And our Lenten task begins tonight on this Ash Wednesday in our 40-day Lenten journey for 2021. And tonight we begin our new Lenten sermon series titled, The Path. And over the next six weeks, we'll be seeing how a passionate faith prepares the way for Jesus and his ultimate act of obedience and sacrifice that Desiree just sang so beautifully about several minutes ago. The act of obedience and sacrifice on the cross. It's a journey to the cross. And tonight we focus on Jesus as the only way along that journey. There are four biblical keys tonight that I would like to share with you from our gospel reading from John 14 that Pastor Dave shared with us a few moments ago. As we begin, begin this Lenten task together examining Jesus as the only way. And the first of those biblical keys from our John 14 text, again, as we kick off the sermon series, the past tonight looking at Jesus as the way, is the importance of finding the right way. Important to find that right way. Now, I grew up as a little boy in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I loved Major League Baseball when I was young, and I still love to follow Major League Baseball. Now, growing up as a boy in Fort Wayne, Indiana, had no Major League Baseball team at that time. They still don't have a Major League Baseball team. And if I recall correctly, most of my friends in the neighborhood and school that liked baseball like I did either followed the Chicago Cubs or the team that I followed the Cincinnati Reds. Now, there may have been a few Tiger fans sprinkled in there as well. But I just love baseball. And any opportunity to listen to a Reds game on the radio, to catch the Reds games on TV, baseball games weren't on TV as they are today as much. Or better yet, have a chance to go to Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati and catch some ball games. Now, to that end, my family, my dad, my mom, myself, and my younger brother, every summer, would take the path, the three-and-a-half-hour car ride southeast from Fort Wayne, Indiana, to Cincinnati. And we'd stay a couple nights and catch some baseball games. And oh, how I love to be at the ballpark. Now, every year, without fail, it seems, we would cross the Indiana line into Ohio, pick up I-75 south, take it down to Cincinnati, and every year, we would miss the exit for the downtown holiday end. I believe it was the last exit on I-75 in Ohio, 
Now, if you know the geography of the area, Cincinnati is in the southwest corner of Ohio, and it's on the banks of the Ohio River, and the other side is Kentucky. And every year, without fail, we would zip by, we would miss the exit, we'd start going over the big bridge, over the Ohio River, we'd see the wonderful sign, Welcome to Kentucky, the Bluegrass State. We would exit the first ramp, Covington, Kentucky, turn it around, go back on I 75 north, cross the Ohio River, over the bridge, we'd see the Welcome to the Buckeye State, back in Ohio, and then we would usually catch that first exit. Off 75 to the holiday room where we stay for a couple nights. Now, we did this every time without fail. As a matter of fact, I think most parts we would start out with, uh, before we even left the state of Indiana, somebody in the car would say, hmm, I wonder if we're going to have to go through Kentucky first to get to Cincinnati. And my dad, the driver, didn't think it was that time. Now, my dad was and is a great dad. He really is. And I'm blessed to have him at age 91 and he's going very strong. But I'm not sure he always knew the best way to get from point A, our home in Fort Wayne, to point B, the holiday Inn in downtown Cincinnati. It's probably best from such journeys or such paths to let someone lead the way who knows the right way. One of our gospel texts for this last Wednesday, Jesus telling his disciples how to get from point A to point B. What is the path? The way to get from this life to life eternal. How to get from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of heaven. And in our text, Jesus is meeting with his disciples for one last time before his arrest and crucifixion. Now, this is part of a longer conversation and dialogue that Jesus is having with his disciples in John's Gospel, covered in chapters 13 through 17. And Jesus is telling his disciples, among other things, to not be afraid, to not be worried, preparing them for the week to come. Now, in our gospel text that Pastor David read, I'd like to revisit the first three verses. What Jesus is saying to the disciples and to you and I tonight. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house is many rooms. If that were not so, would I told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. In other words, Jesus knows the way. He knows the way how to get from point A, this life, to point B, eternal life. And Jesus says we can know the way of well. He reminds us in verse 2 that our Heavenly Father has many rooms in that heavenly mansion, and he desires all people to be saved, to know the way. Jesus is that way. And yet the disciple Thomas in our text, and Thomas, sometimes when he appears in Scripture, has that wonderful gift for being so practical. And he asks Jesus in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Now, sometimes over the years, our guys may have gotten bad luck in terms of maybe not being willing to stop and ask for directions along the way. Some of us maybe resemble that remark, or used to resemble that remark. Um, um, again, sometimes in our stubbornness, we'll just figure out how to do it. We're not going to stop and ask for directions. direction. Now, that may have been mitigated some with the advent of GPS technology and MapQuest and Google Maps, but 
with some exceptions that may be a fair side against some of us. But in our text here, we see a man actually stopping and asking for directions. Thomas asked Jesus, Lord, how can we know the way? And the directions here are not to a hotel or a party or a restaurant. They're directions to the most important destination there is. The final destination, the last stop, the final life, heaven. Thank God for Thomas, who asked the question, Lord, how can we know the way? And that leads us to our second key tonight in our John 14 chapter. We took off the series, the path. And our second key is Jesus is indeed that way. Jesus could not have said it more clearly, more simply, more spiritually profoundly than he did. In answering Thomas, saying it to the rest of the disciples and to you and me tonight in verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to the Father, the only path to heaven. That's an uncompromising path of our Christian faith. Now, by virtue of what I have the privilege to do a great deal here at St. Michael, working in the area of pastoral care, I have the chance with a number of the members along the way to see and walk with them during some of their final chapters of life, sometimes their final minutes and hours and days and weeks. And along the way, there's that opportunity to have that Jesus talk with them, to talk with them about how are they with the Lord, as the end seems to be near, not knowing exactly when the world will call them from the What do they think about Jesus? What do they think will happen in the world's turn when they leave with it? And nothing is more comforting or heartfelt for a family member, for me as a pastor to hear, than to hear one of our members or other people I may minister to confess with all their heart that they love Jesus. They know him as the way. And they believe that the Lord has a room prepared for them in heaven. And when the time comes, they know because of what Jesus Christ has done for them, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, they will be in heaven because they believe he is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. Now, all to believe that, right? That Jesus is the only way, the only path to heaven. It should be so simple, right? And so short. Well, that leads us to our third key tonight. In John 14, as we look at Jesus as the way, as we kick off the series of path. And it's the misconception, or it's a misconception, of the quote, arrogance of Christianity. We increasingly live in a more pluralistic time, as we know, in our country, in our community. We live in a time that's much more ethnically, culturally, religiously diverse. The Christian truth, church, and the truth of God's word no longer has the influence or the primacy, the respect or the acceptance that it once did in an increasingly post-Christian era in our country. As disciples of Jesus, we know we face more and more of a story at times for our faith and our desire to adhere to the unchangeable truth. Of the Bible. Now, over the years, that uh, some messages or Bible studies I've had the privilege to teach, I have shared a little bit about some of the other experiences that I've been blessed with 
in different cultural traditions with performing different methods. One of those areas I told some stories about would be when I was a recent high school principal. Those were good years in educational ministry. I had the chance to be a principal at two different Lutheran high schools. And I still have a number of friends or former colleagues who serve as an administrator of a Lutheran secondary school somewhere in the country. And about two years ago, I was talking with one of my friends who was a Lutheran high principal, and he was telling me the story about the building project that he And it sounded exciting. Um, a couple years earlier, uh, a long-time graduate of school passed, and in his will, he made a bequest of a large piece of property and a lot of money. And the board and the area churches and the school leaders have been praying and looking at, was it the Lord's will, perhaps to move them out of this really old facility that they were in, into a more strategic area of the community? They thought they could still fulfill their mission statement greater, and they had the means now to go and the building and athletic fields and all of it goes with that. So they made the decision to go forward in faith. And they really, really only ran into opposition in one area. And believe it or not, they got some blowback from the community and from, in particular, a couple of elected officials about, of all things, wanting to put a cross on top of the Christian school building. Now, I think one thing too unusual about that, you tend to see crosses on top of or the side of Christian schools as you do on the top or side of Christian church buildings. But it got rather serious, and it ended up before the city council of that community. And so that night, the principal and a couple board members and the legal council were there, and the city council person who had the most adamant desire to stop this cross. So, and he said to this group, now, if you were going to put up an Islamic structure, I would have no issue. Now, this is a Christian school. He said, I could probably live with the Star of David. But a cross on the Sunday. And then somebody from the school delegation said, what offends you about the cross? He said, I'll tell you. The cross represents to me what you Christians believe to be so arrogant. That you think your religion is the only human, your God is the only real God. And that only from Jesus and his cross can you get into an answer. He said, I find you Christians at times in Oregon and bigoted and more minded. Now, I think the compliment still really said by itself, you know. But, you know, to make a long story short, the school was able to get their cross on the ground. But it wasn't without some fight and some legal action. The point is that many people today, increasingly many in the world, will be offended. When we speak in the truth and love, rightfully confess and teach and believe and profess what the cross means, what the cross of Christ is all about, that Jesus is the only way, the only way to heaven, the only path to the Father. Now, some, including today, some Christians and even some Christian denominations will want to buy into a notion more of, well, come on, man. Aren't all good people ultimately going to end up in heaven? If you're good, aren't you going to go to heaven? They say, I have a Buddhist neighbor. I have a Sikh co-worker. I have a Hindu best friend. And they're good citizens, great co-workers, and neighbors who give me a shit off the face. And I feel that's true and more. And how many of us don't have that? I have that. I have people and friends and acquaintances and neighbors that may be Hindu or Muslim or Sikh. We know people, good people, that we have good relationships with that may be atheist or agnostic. Some other strike or no strike whatsoever. But that's not the question. Do they know Jesus as the way? 
what God is in you do the worship. Increasingly, some, even within some churches, will want to say, well, does it really matter what God is worship? Don't all spiritual paths lead to the same God? And again, this universal mystic kind of theology and thinking, it sounds so caring, so compassionate, so tolerant, so equitable, so politically correct, but the problem is it's not perfect. It was one thing that Jesus lays out. He says it clearly, he is the one. And that leads to our fourth and final point tonight on this afternoon from our John 14 text. To kick off this Martin Sermon series, this 40 day journey regarding the cross with Jesus as the way and the truth. The uniqueness of Christ. Because the uniqueness of Christ shows us it's the only way around the cross. Now, the cornerstone of our Christian faith, the heart of our focus on this Lenten journey beginning this Ash Wednesday that brings us together tonight in person or virtually is that Christ died for our sins. The Bible teaches us that we all sin. We all fall asleep. We all miss the mark. Paul and Romans says it only takes one sin to knock us out of the right relationship with God. One of the readings Pastor Dave shared with us tonight from Romans 5, verse 8, Paul reminds us that, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinning, Christ died for us. And why does God do that? The only time in the history of all the various world religions, and we know the Christian faith is the only true faith, the only time that a God and we know of all the gods that people have ever believed in, there's only one true God, the God of the Bible. The only time that the God, the one true God, took human form, came into this earth, became one of us. The Word made flesh, as we heard about this past weekend in worship. And that Word made flesh, Jesus lived that perfect life that you and I can't lead. That perfect life that you and I can't get rid willing to pay for every wrong thing we've ever done or will do, take our place on the cross, suffer and die and rise again, that all who believe in Him, washed by the blood of the sacrifice and resurrection, that all who believe in Him will have life eternal. And you see the motivation for this saving, gracious act, and probably one of the most familiar Bible verses for many, from God, John's Gospel as well. Chapter 3, verse 15, John records the God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, Jesus, the way. But whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If you say or want to believe that all paths and all roads lead to God, what we do is we strip Christ of his uniqueness. Because if all roads do lead to God, then why did God send Jesus into the world? Why did Jesus die on the cross if all roads lead to God? If Jesus didn't die on the cross for our salvation, that being the only way, it cheapens what he did on the cross. If Jesus didn't die on the cross, or if there was some other way, some other path other than the road to the cross through Jesus, there would be no need for this 40 day purpose that we begin tonight on this afternoon. Jesus says so clearly again, John 14, 6, in the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. 
Christ is the only way, the only path to the Father. And the beauty is the uniqueness of Christ, our first point here, allows us to approach God as we should. Jesus led us as a mediator for our sins. We focus on that this Acts Wednesday during the 40 days we went in at one dark night. By following Jesus, we are saved, appearing in the eternal kingdom. We believe that Jesus is the one and only true and living way. And God calls us in response to that love to love our neighbors as ourselves and to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Now, there are many today who claim there's another way. There's an alternative path. There's a replacement for Jesus. However, his sacrifice on the cross, our focus this morning season, is once and for all. Through Jesus' teaching, his life and his sacrifice, we're able to understand how God wants us to live and live for other people. Ultimately, there's only one way, one path to eternal life. Now, on this last Wednesday, the ashes that we will soon self-apply on our forehead. Don't last for a couple of hours this evening. But we are marked by the cross of Christ for eternity because of what Jesus Christ has done along the way. The path, the way to the cross. May we grow in the truth and love for Jesus as we walk the only way this one sees. It will be more eager, be more equipped, be more focused by the power of the Holy Spirit to share this truth. But the world so desperately needs to know that the people that God will place on our path during the next 40 days, and He will place those people and those opportunities along our path in this history. Again, may we constantly be equipped to share that truth that Jesus is the only way, the only path. In His name, Amen. Thank you, Isaac.